0: Hi, this is Sandy Rios, and you're listening to Sandy Rios 24/7. Well, we just passed the 247th birthday of the United States of America, and every every Fourth of July since I was a kid, we celebrated in such a big way. I re- remember putting, you know, gre- cards, you know, in my bicycle wheels and going down and running in the parade and then marching in the parade as as a band member and just always, always celebrated fireworks, everything. This Fourth seems different to me. And I, I, I thought it would be a good thing today for us to kind of reflect on what it means to have another celebration of our nation's history, uh, on the sadness that I think many of us feel, on the loss, the potential loss of freedoms. Uh, Bruce and I are going to discuss that today, and uh, I, I want to just start this part just by telling you, uh, when I was young, uh, a young woman, uh, I lived in Berlin, Germany. I lived there during, it was still the Cold War, uh, and it was when the wall was still there. Germany was divided by a wall, and then Berlin was in the northeast section of the eastern section of Berlin, of Germany, uh, and it was surrounded by a wall, and you could not get out, uh, and people were dying to get over that wall for freedom, and As a 21-year-old girl, I used to drive through Checkpoint Charlie and go to East Berlin and spend the day. Uh, And the difference between the West, which was free, and the East, which was so oppressed, was unbelievable. You go to a sporting event and everyone was silent. You go to a restaurant, you just hear forks clicking, no one daring to make eye contact with you. Guards everywhere, Russian officers, East Germans. It was a frightening time and the it really changed me. It was the thing that made me see with my own eyes what it meant not to be free. And so we're going to allude to that a little bit more today, but I just wanted to tell you that will be part of our discussion. All right, so you know that we are so grateful to have Preborn as a sponsor. And this July, which is where we are, we celebrate the birth of our nation. But first, you know, we're very grateful to have Preborn as a sponsor. We're celebrating at least the whole month, really, the birth of our nation, and remembering the heroes who fought for our freedoms. But did you know that there are Americans today that don't have freedom, or life, or liberty? Every day, unborn babies' very lives are under attack. But because of preborn, we can rescue them. Preborn is the largest pro life ministry in the country. By providing free ultrasounds to women in crisis, not only do they save lives, but they present the living forgiveness and power of the lord jesus christ if we uphold the truths of the constitution and above all the truth of god we must acknowledge that babies in their mothers wombs are created equal too and are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights that cannot and should not be taken away and that includes life liberty and the pursuit of happiness will you stand with preborn one ultrasound is just twenty-eight dollars. Five is about hundred and forty dollars. All you have to do is go to preborn.com/sandy. That's preborn.com/sandy and make your most generous donation uh, here this July Fourth, the two hundred what forty-seventh birthday of the United States. I want to tell you a couple of other things. You know, if you want to call us, you can leave a message at six six two. That's 662-821-2040. Or you can write us at sandy at afr.net, sandy at afr.net. And I'm so happy to tell you we finally have our website uh, in shape. It's sandyrios.com. That's easy to find. You'll find some interesting things there. I hope that you enjoy that. You'll also uh, find a, a website that's dedicated to my first child, Sasha, which Uh, I hope that you will find that interesting and you'll understand a little bit more about my own passion and faith in Christ. So uh, there you go. That's the opening. So now sit back and relax and enjoy a discussion with my husband and I about freedom. Freedom. This is Sandy Rios on Sandy Rios 24-7. Okay, Sandy Rios, with you on Sandy Rios 24/7. Uh, it is a very special month. You know, if the if you know Gay Pride can have a whole month, can't we have a whole month to celebrate the United States of America? I think so. Uh, and we were thinking a lot about just what this Fourth of July means, and how there's a different feel. I think there's a different feel. It's sad, actually. Uh, I don't see we don't see all the flags. We don't see as much celebration. Uh, And I know it's just because people, I think, are just uh, worried sick about their country. Bruce, what do you think is I mean, is there any other explanation besides that? Well, a lot of people are being taught to hate the country. That's part of it.
1: Yeah, I think that um, the celebration of this very, very important day has been suppressed in many ways. It's it's considered foolish. You know, uh, why why would you celebrate a country that you've been taught to hate. You've been taught that we were were white supremacists, uh, We love slavery. Uh, we we wiped out the Native Americans. Um, we don't treat people in certain groups right. Th- that's what's being taught in school.
0: No, I do no, certainly. I do know that. Yeah. So the kids just don't get it at all. And even even uh, the older kids, so called kids, don't really get it. They don't. You know. I guess that's. You know. It kind of reminds me, Bruce, of. Um, Okay, this is a maybe a shallow comparison, but people will start an enterprise, a business, and become very famous and provide a service to the world, and they have, they're all in, they're passionate about it, and then their children inherit it, and the first generation, maybe not too bad, but in the second generation gets just worse and worse. It just seems to be human nature that they can't, uh, they can't remember. They don't have the passion. I, you and I have speculated one of the reasons we have such a passion is that our fathers both served. In World War II, we were, we were raised in homes that loved this country and expressed it, you know, our parents did.
1: Well, we've had family members question, why do we think the U.S. is such a great country? I mean, even, and I'm kind of astounded, and I really don't have a, an answer because I think it should be self-evident. Um, you know, I was really passionate about doing this show and one of the reasons is I saw a movie last night called The Sounds of Freedom, and it's about human trafficking, but I don't want to talk about that part of it. I want to talk about it was shot, uh, some of the scenes were in Colombia, some were in Honduras, and for all these people that think the United States is a terrible place, you should, you should be required, if you're going to think that, to go down to these other countries And see what they put up with. They wouldn't put up with you um, protesting in the streets. They wouldn't put up with you um, flaunting your unusual sexuality to them. They won't let you take the job you want. These countries are under total oppression. And that's why America is so important. Because we have to be the shining city on the hill. Um, I don't think that those people really know what it is to be free.
0: No, I don't think so either, Bruce, and that's really the norm for the world. Being, having the freedom that we have is the reason why, I know this. some of these things have become so cliche, but if you're listening to us and you wonder what we're talking about, look at the southern border. Now, some of them are coming for economic reasons and nefarious purposes, but a lot of them have been coming for generations because they want to be free. And if you don't, I think in this country, Bruce, let's talk about freedom for a second because I don't think that people really understand what freedom is. I think a lot of them think it's the freedom to do whatever the heck they want to do, however they want to do it. There shouldn't be any boundaries, no limits. Uh, it's it's sort of a view of freedom that has really very little to do with what the founders had in mind, because they surely did not mean that we would just live it, however we wanted to live in licentiousness and lawlessness. That's not what they meant. So... Um, I was just uh, a couple of more examples you talked about that movie with the, the South American uh, examples of people just being really enslaved to these cartels. But I was thinking about a conversation I had with a Chinese friend just last week. And uh, we were just talking about the she was the, the uh, second of, t- of two children. But at, right after she was born, they instituted their one child policy. And Bruce, in villages, uh, girls would actually have to go to the watcher, the minder, every month and make sure they had periods because they weren't allowed to have any more than one baby. And if they did, they would drown it. They would kill it. it was, And that's forced upon them. Um, the,
1: the government would The
0: government do that. forced it on them, and they are still doing that. Now they'll allow two children, uh, but they go to great lengths. Can you imagine the, the uh, invasion of your privacy? That someone monitors your physical body functions. Uh, But that's just one example of uh, what's been happening in China for a long time. Um, And then, of course, I I alluded at the top of the show about my time in Berlin. You've heard me talk about that a lot. Um, I think when I grew up, we knew all about the Cold War. And some people listening won't even know what that is, Bruce. Could you explain it?
1: Yeah, the Cold War... Uh, followed World War II, which it was considered a hot war. Obviously, there was combat. But then it was almost as oppressive in the Cold War as it ever was in the hot war because what happened is the Soviet Union, Russia, basically had taken over much of Eastern Europe as they fought their way towards Germany. Now, when America goes into a war, we, we go in, we win, usually we win, and then we leave. Russia did not leave. Russia continued um, controlling Czechoslovakia, Poland, Hungary, Romania, um, amongst other countries, and turned them into satellite countries. They had a sham government, but really they all became part of Russia, and believe me, Russia did not want to stop at Berlin. They wanted all of Berlin while you were living there. That was a real burr under their saddle. And um, we uh, we don't understand here what it would be like to have a country right on our border that is trying to take us over. Um, we,
0: well, I think we're learning about that now. I mean, uh, we came close to that. Of course, that was so much of what we're talking about, Bruce, Is uh, I feel the need to explain everything. I think of the Cuban Missile Crisis, where the Russians came down to Cuba, which is just a few miles off the coast of Florida, Mm -hmm. and uh, we knew, Khrushchev had warned us at the UN banging his shoe, he said, we will bury you, talking to us. The communists, that wasn't just Russia and the Soviet Union, it was communist doctrine, the whole world they felt would bow to the knee of communism. Isn't it interesting, Bruce, because now China, that's, how, that's their view. It's not about communism, I don't think. It's about just Chinese doc, indoctr—Chinese uh, dominance, and, before, and the Islamists feel the yeah. same way, that everybody's going to be Muslim someday.
1: Yeah, I really think the average American, and I'm sorry to say this, but the average American really has their head in the sand. Yeah. They have no idea how many people would like to see our downfall, And that's why... It's really dangerous that when someone tries to sound the alarm like you or other people that go on TV and, and raise issues about the Muslim religion or, you know, and what it really is about, and um, the uh, Chinese, they are, they are beaten down by people saying, you're, you're a phobe. Yeah, you you right. know, you're some kind of phobe. Yeah. You, you hate Chinese. You you, you hate... You hate hate Muslims. Muslims. Yeah, Islamophobia. Mm. Um, And so what happens is people, are they just never wise up that, you know, they don't wise up until it's too late usually is what happens in these situations.
0: Well, and we, that is, I have to say to go back to Berlin for a second. Honestly, I was 21 when I moved there and... It really changed my life, Bruce, because I, uh, again, I grew up during the Cold War, uh, the time you just described, and uh, the Russians were, Russia was fascinating to me. Uh, I used to read so much about it, but I actually got to taste and feel uh, what it was like to be oppressed then. And I ended up later, as you know, through my work, visiting almost every communist country on the globe, except for Cuba. Uh, and a few other exceptions. I mean, I, I and I saw, I saw it, I saw it, I tasted it. And that is the reason why I speak the way I do. That's the reason I fight as hard as I do to maintain our freedom here.
1: Well, and I think what's really impressing me right now in a bad way is watching the Chinese establish this surveillance operation in Cuba. Because the very first time I remember being aware of danger, communism, you know, nuclear attacks, was when I was young and the, the uh, Cuban Missile Crisis. I was, we lived in Chicago, and I remember every day the Chicago Tribune newspaper would come, and they would have a map on the front page, and it would show, because what was happening is the Russians were putting ballistic missiles, in other words, offensive missiles, in Cuba, 90 miles from America nuclear directed missiles, at us directed at us mm-hmm. they were shipping them there and our surveillance planes uh, discovered this so we gave the russians an ultimatum to either take those missiles out or we were going to take them out and so um what you had is you had a russian column of ships that was approaching cuba that was going to reinforce them with supplies and additional weapons and the united states had declared a quarantine what that's what they called it a quarantine around cuba saying if you cross into this quarantine area we will stop your ships so here you've got the two superpowers of nuclear of the nuclear age facing off and these ships are getting closer and closer and closer and no one looked like they were going to bat an eye and we were really for you know 10 days or so just on the brink of nuclear war.
0: You know what's interesting about that, Bruce? You take me back in time. I mentioned it a few minutes ago, but I love the way you described that. That was a... Te- we hardly breathed for however many, however many days it was, seven, ten days maybe. I mean, it was just so oppressive. Uh, and... Um, The irony is that people now, when they, when you well, for a number of years, when you talk badly about communism, even that became uh, passe. You're such a rube because you believe communism is dangerous. And now our kids think it's wonderful. They think it's wonderful. I mean, it's so ignorant. It is, their ignorance is uh, overwhelming. And so if you're a kid listening, don't let my humor at you stop you from embracing what we're going to talk to you about. You know, Bruce, I think it would be a good thing for us to go back, because sometimes things never change. You know, our founding fathers came here from, for the most part, Europe. Um, they came from England. They came from Holl- through Holland. Many of them. Uh, they they came because they everywhere in the world oppression seems to be where every country goes. There may be some exceptions, but we see it now in Europe. People are becoming more oppressed. We're seeing it in Canada. They're bringing it here. By that, I mean less freedom, where the government has more and more and more and more control. And so uh, that's what was happening under the kings. Uh, they were, um, they couldn't worship the way they wanted to because they were persecuted or even killed. Uh, they, they had, if they created an invention, the king took, he had the right of all the patents. He took all of their ideas. They could never get ahead. Uh, they couldn't raise their children the way they wanted to. Their money was confiscated. Uh, we could go on and on. But that's what they were facing, and that's why they came here. Do you want to say a word about that? There's a lot to say about our revolution and about our foundings.
1: And the irony was, people who had been here for approximately 100 years settling this country as colonies started to find that the things they had fled from in Europe, particularly in Britain, were now becoming part of the fabric of the colonies. Taxation without representation, the Stamp Act, um, the quartering of British soldiers in your home. Think of that. you without know, your permission. Without your permission. They <laughs> knock on your door and say, oh, by the way, you're going to start housing four British soldiers in your house. You're going to feed them. You're going to bathe, you know, give them uh, places to sleep, uh, places to clean up. Can you imagine that? Uh, for And um, and basically what they the soldiers were doing were spying. They were spying on people. So all of a sudden people find themselves now facing exactly what they fled from.
0: Because they were still part of Great Britain.
1: Yeah. They be, were a colony. B- because and what had happened is even though the colonies were functioning under the king, let's face it, when you it's like getting away from home. <laughs> when you're away from England, you start to identify yourself as an American, as a colonist, not as an Englishman. And when all of a sudden the English government decides to start putting the foot down on your neck, uh, there's a lot of revulsion there. It's like, hey, we we left so we didn't have to put up with this.
0: Yeah. They did some terrible things to the Americans, too. And and that led them to what we celebrate on July the 4th, which was that declaration. They really had to stop and think. They had to put into writing what they thought about freedom and what what they wanted this country to be all about. And so I'm going to read just a little bit of it, okay? Because uh, weren't they even, like, t- like kidnapping men and, and taking them on British ships and making them serve? They were doing all kinds of things like that.
1: Yeah, they, so, uh, a lot of that came after the Revolution in the War of 1812, but it was going on during the, the um, American Revo- or prior to the American Revolution, too. They were forcing people to, to serve in the British Navy, and... Um, and, again, it was, it was primarily a lot of economic reasons. You know, so many people came here for religious freedom but also for economic freedom. And all of a sudden they're finding, you know, the British are closing the ports. And a town like Boston, how do you, how do you make a living if they close the port? But it was the king exerting his influence saying, you are going to bow the knee yeah. to me. You are not Americans. You are Englishmen.
0: And you owe me this, and we're taking your money. So that's kind of how it happened. So then they wrote this, these incredible founders who have been so maligned in this current generation. It's amazing to me. If they only really knew the real history, they would feel so differently. But this is what those great men wrote. When in the course of human events it becomes necessary for one people to dissolve the political bands which have connected them with another— and to assume among the powers of the earth the separate and equal station to which the laws of nature and of nature's God entitles them. A decent respect to the opinions of mankind requires that they should declare the causes which impel them to the separation. In other words, uh, we are a separate country, now we are individual, we should not be oppressed, and we're going to lay out the reasons. We hold these truths to be self-evident. That all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, and that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, that to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed. And that's how it starts, Bruce. Um, uh, So... First of all, they talk about the Creator. They're talking about God. They were ninety percent Christian. Many of them were theologians, uh, pastors. It's um, a statesman, and so they they never ever didn't like it, acknowledge God. In fact, during that first convention, there are famous portraits of them on their knees praying together.
1: Well, and this was quite a um, quite a, a quantum leap in English history, because in England, everyone believed. The king gave you your rights. And here are these upstart colonists saying, No, no, no. The king does not give you your rights. God, the creator, gives you your rights. You can imagine the wigs that turned (laughs) back (laughs) in London. The the harum thing, the fans. Yeah. yeah. uh, Having the vapors. Because, you
0: know, England had had so much prosperity that they had become weak and corrupt they were very much like kind of, I think, where we are now. So I want to go on because here's the next part, because I think this, this often comes to my mind with what we're facing now. They go on to say that whenever any form of government becomes destructive of these ends, that means giving life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, it is the right of the people to alter or to abolish it and to institute new government laying its foundation on such principles and organizing its powers in such form as to them shall seem most likely to affect their safety and happiness. Uh, and then it goes on, I love this, says, Wisdom, indeed, will dictate that governments long established, like Britain's, Britain's government, our government now, should not be changed for light and transient causes, not for silly reasons, and accordingly, all experience has shown that mankind people are more disposed to suffer while evils are sufferable than to right themselves by abolishing the forms to which they are accustomed. In other words, we get used to stuff. It takes a lot to make us rebel because we even you until it just becomes unbearable, you put up with it. And then they go on to say
1: And you can imagine again the English politicians and the king himself back in England when they get this document and it says you don't have a right over you don't have a right to govern us anymore we're breaking away from you and spreading the idea into England maybe even that you know what just because the king is in charge doesn't mean he should be able to govern in any which way he wants but that there should be a, 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 a mechanism to change the government, if you don't think it's uh, giving you life, liberty—that well, would have been happens.
0: shocking to them, wouldn't now, it? Now think of monarch- that.
1: Talk about a seismic change. <laughs> yeah. And um, y- you know, you 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 um, relate that to now. How we, I think, a lot of us are getting to the point where we are starting to question: Do we need to reform this government that we're under? We watch this two-tiered justice system we watch the corruption going on we watch the president himself with all kinds of evidence that he has taken millions of dollars and given it to his family members and directed our policy as a country because of these quote-unquote business deals that he's made he sold us out is what he's done that is enough to make a lot of people say, yeah. "You know what? It might be time to have a different kind of government."
0: It's not a light and transient reason that we're beginning right. to get restless, right. And uh, so, you know, also I just think the point that we we often say, and when I talk on the morning when I talk on the morning show, what is it going to take for people to? What's it going to take for people to start doing something? And I think um, they, did, they They knew way back then when they wrote that, it's going to take something really big because people get used to bad things and they, they'll take it, they'll take it, they'll take it, they'll take it. And then finally, one day, it's too much. But uh, let me just, um, so they say, but when a long train of abuses and usurpations, that means like uh, over... Like the FBI storming through your house without permission and arresting innocent people. That would be a usurpation. Um, but when a long train of abuses and usurpations pursuing invariably the same object evinces a design to reduce them under absolute despotism, meaning the people, that's what the, the, the authority, the rulers are trying to do. It is their right, the people's right, it is their duty to throw off such government, and to provide new guards for the future security. Isn't that, a, that's, isn't that something?
1: Now, think about that, using the word duty. Yes. Duty means you must do it. And it's saying if if the government gets to the point where you've described that it is not suggested that we overthrow the government or change the government, that it is your duty, your responsibility to do that, again, where in the course of human events have you ever heard such a concept?
0: No, never. And, you know, uh, we, as you and I kind of discussed this today, I was just thinking, I have uh, the diary of Christopher Columbus back in my office, and he is so clear in his diary about how he feels God called him to explore and find this new world. He uses Scripture. Uh, and you think about these founding fathers then, were certain that they had they begged God for help. They bowed, they prayed. Uh, they didn't just rebel for transient and light reasons. they rebelled because of the oppression of England. and they wanted a different government. They wanted people to be free. And so um,
1: and a lot of people today will say, well, those signers of the Declaration of Independence, they were doing that for economic reasons. And if you think about it logically, actually, they were in the exact opposite position. Most of these people had made good livings. They could have sat back and just endured whatever came from England and sat on their money and been fine. But instead, they signed this Declaration of Independence. That I just read. Which part. is treason to the English government. Yeah. It's To the crown, it's treason. Yeah. These men know... By signing this declaration, if we go to war and we lose, I will be executed. And you can believe every one of them would have been hung. Every one of those signers would have been hung by the English government because they hung a lot of people during the revolution. You can imagine that they that no signer would have been excluded from that.
0: No, and these are these are wealthy landowners, uh, and they and we need to just say because some people may not know this, Bruce they all signed it they all signed it john hancock signed it in a great big script you've probably seen his script for because it's now an insurance company it used to be uh, he, i want i want king george to be able to read my signature so he signed it with great bravado I remember
1: he said yeah, i want king george to be able to read my signature without his spectacles <laughs>
0: <laughs> and and they they said they actually said we pledge our lives and our fortunes and if you trace what happened after this war or during that war, they really, all of them took a hit financially. Uh, they were gone from their homes for months and months, and they were agrarian. They had these big like George Washington, Thomas Jefferson, and others uh, had these huge estates, uh, and they, they lost a lot during that conflict because they really pledged their lives and their fortunes to securing freedom for this new nation. Well, that's kind of what we uh, are, that's what's on our hearts and minds today. We're not quite done, but it'll give you an idea of, I hope, an idea of this is our legacy. This is our legacy. It's because of their willingness to sacrifice everything uh, that we are free. And that doesn't mean free to act any way you want. It means free to... Make your own choices to determine your future, to raise your children, to worship your God. Uh, they didn't even make you, the Founding Fathers didn't say you had to be a Christian. They never said that. They actually fought against that. You had the right of conscience to worship the way you wanted. That's what they laid down. That was freedom. Uh, and so that is our legacy. When we come back, uh, we have a few more uh, comments. Um, Yeah, we do. So just stay tuned. We'll be right back. Well, as we said, did we say it's July? (laughs) It is July. Sandy Rios with you back. Uh, And we are celebrating the birth of our nation, and Bruce and I are trying to do that by just talking to you about freedom. Uh, It's hard to talk about it in such a limited time. It's such a big subject, and it's so precious and priceless, and it does come from God's hand. But in regard to that, one of the natural outflows of that passion about freedom and the right to life and liberty is the passion for the unborn babies. Certainly, we cannot say as a nation that we believe that all men are created equal and endowed by their creator with the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. What kind of happiness do babies in their womb who are aborted, what pursuit did they have of happiness? What did that right to life did they experience? None. And you know that. And so that's why Preborn has jumped in, man, to give a really practical, wonderful way to help girls make a different choice about their unborn baby. Uh, they supply ultrasounds, which are, you know, very reasonable. And that's what we ask you to help us with every time we join you on this podcast. It's just $28 for one ultrasound or five ultrasounds are $140. If you would like to give to pre-born because you do believe that even babies have a right to life, and The Pursuit of Happiness, you can go to preborn.com slash Sandy. That's preborn.com slash Sandy. Also, you can find us now at sandyrios.com. I'm happy to tell you, sandyrios.com is a great place to just write down and, and also recommend to your friends. That's You can listen to the podcast, all kinds of things. So, uh, And you can write us at sandy at afr.net, sandy at afr.net, or you can call us at 662 821 2040. That's six six two eight two one two zero four zero. When we returned, my favorite president. Well, it's kind of a contest between two of them. But our first president is hard to beat. And perhaps you don't know what he said that applies now. We're gonna talk about that when we return.
1: This is Sandy Rios 24-7 on American Family Radio.
0: All right, Sandy Rios back with you, and uh, Bruce is with me, of course. Honey, I love George Washington, and I feel like he's the president. Lincoln, some people generally, because of the monument, I think, still have some acquaintance with him. But I think, except for Washington Monument, very few people know much about Washington anymore.
1: He obviously was the father of our country. I think there's never been a better name for someone that he is the father of our country. If people knew all the facets of our country that George Washington had been involved in, I think they'd be astounded. When he was a young man, he helped uh, explore the country. When he took over the Army, he helped save the country. When he became president, he helped shape the country. He's been an example of what this country should be since 250 years ago.
0: We could do two shows on his life alone, but I would say this. He was a strong Christian. He wrote books of prayer, real prayer. He used to meet for Bible study with the Secretary of State after he became president every Sunday night. He was chaplain to his troops. Uh, once uh, when in the middle of the war, he went to be by himself in the woods, on his knees and uh, was praying out loud, and a Tory, that means a loyalist to Britain came walking through the woods and then heard heard that, went home and said to his wife, "We're going to lose the war. I just heard General Washington praying." He uh, often was, uh, he almost was killed so many different times. Uh, One of the Indian chiefs just remarked at what a a miracle it was that he made it through these battles because he was fearless, Uh, but he did survive. And when when he died, even King George said that George Washington, that was his opponent, George Washington's character was one of the wonders of the world. That was your first president. That was your first president. And so you need to be proud of that. Um,
1: Well, and you have to remember people were used to having a king at that time. Washington became our first president. There was no limitation on how long he could have been president
0: or how much power he could have, or
1: how much power he could have wielded. It was, things were still very much in flux as to what kind of government we were going to have. And, Washington probably could have been elected president for as many years as he wanted to be. He was still a relatively young man when he stepped down. He did two terms. He did eight years, and he said, I am going home. This is, And, you know, people think that that, that was the law. It was not the law then. He kind of set the precedent, by, and you think, well, if George Washington, as great as he was, only thought it was proper to do eight years as president, then that's what it should be. And then it later became law.
0: Yeah. And and they had wanted him to, they actually brought up the whole notion of him being king. And he just said, no, you know, no. there's no way. I, we know why he served such a long time, honey. And he really did. He got us going, man. He set the country straight. And I thought it was really interesting. I was just reading in his farewell address uh, when he was leaving his last speech as president of the United States. And I want to um, just share a couple of thoughts uh, as we close here. He wrote in the midst of this, of all the dispositions and habits which lead to political prosperity, religion and morality are indispensable supports. In vain would that man claim the tribute of patriotism who should labor to subvert these great pillars of human happiness, these firmest props of the duties of men and citizens. And what were those? religion, and morality. He goes on to say the mere politician, equally with the pious man, that means one who's serious about their faith, ought to respect and to cherish them, meaning religion and morality. He said, a volume could not trace all their connections with private and public felicity. That means uh, public uh, good behavior, public honor. Let it simply be asked, where is the security for property? For reputation, for life. If the sense of religious obligation desert the oaths to which are the instruments of investigation in courts of justice, Bruce. Think about what he's just said. We've dropped that. Uh, I solemnly swear before God, we've dropped that. That's what he's talking about. He says... For reputation of life, if the sense of religious obligation desert the oaths, which, which are the instruments of insti- insti- investigation in courts of justice. It goes on and on, but he was so insightful. He knew that uh, men had to be self-governed in order for freedom to work.
1: That was something that we have really lost from that time, and that was... The establishment of the United States was undertaken with an understanding that we as citizens would have duties and that we would have civic responsibilities. We're not just a bunch of freeloaders sitting around saying, well, we're free to do whatever we want. So, um, you know, I I don't have to act in a civil way.
0: Nor do I have to pay attention to anything that's going on.
1: And I do not have to be bound by any morality. Mm -mm. We, as, we do not have a civilization that is a republic without everyone participating in a civil way.
0: You know, he says something about that, too. He said, uh, promote the general diffusion of knowledge. It is essential that public opinion should be enlightened. In a democracy, it's essential that public opinion should be enlightened.
1: You think about when, uh, you know, like Jay Leno or people like that do a walk down the street and it would ask people about issues that everyone should have known about. And people would just... Like who was the first president? Yeah, who the first president? Mm-hmm. How many states are there? How many senators are there? And so many times the person that was asked would just glaze over. They didn't have a clue. Or they'd say something so silly. Or some urban myth that was just ridiculous and that is I think that's one of the things that we have really lost and that's why it's important when we have a thing like the 4th of July that we don't just go out and shoot off firecrackers but it, would, it wouldn't hurt us to take a look at a, at a document like the Constitution the Declaration of Independence the, the, the Federalist Papers I'm not saying do a deep dive on them but just skim over them
0: Right. And you'll be so inspired. You'll be so yeah. inspired uh, because we have so much to be proud of. And I think that's the point we're trying to make here. Uh, our founding fathers gave so much that so we could be free. I mean, it's been, that's been handed off from generation to generation. Remember Reagan said, uh, freedom is only one generation away from being lost. And so that's why we're trying to help you understand what it really means uh, I know that many of you do, but I thought it would be good for us to talk about this today. And if you want to know, like a great source, I'm sure you all know, or you, most of you, many of you know, about David Barton and Wall Builders. He's got the, probably the most incredible private resource of uh, library books on the founders. It's just, uh, he, and he makes that available online at wallbuilders.com, so I want to mention that. Um, and so, uh, honey, thank you for joining me.
1: It was my privilege. I'll I tell you, it's really important that we understand what a wonderful place we live in. Yes. And we have to defend it, and we have to preserve it. Yes. And it's good to have another birthday. Yeah, I exactly. Can't look, I can't wait for 250. Yeah, happy God, birth- I hope I'm here.
0: Happy birthday, the United States of America. We are so grateful to God that we've uh, enjoyed and been born in this country. All right, well, I hope that uh, you enjoyed to learn something today on this version, this edition of Sandy Rios 24-7.